This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth uh, with my Tuesday morning Bible study, uh, continuing on the Gospel of Matthew. We are picking up at chapter 13 today, and I just, I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation that goes outside the world of Dr. Carter, uh, just just for the beginning of this discussion. So, <clears throat> there are there are lots of schools of thought when it comes to reading the Gospels. Um, there is, and I'll just give you a few, just to give you an idea. There's the evangelical way of looking at the Gospels, that these are a hard and fast, these are the words of Jesus. It's the red-letter version people, right? Like, so the publisher creates a Bible, they put these red letters in there. These are Jesus' actual words. We have no, none, absolutely no proof that Jesus had said any of those things, like at all. But the publisher, as they were designing the Bible, uh, said these words are going to be parts of Jesus's language. Now, that, that, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's bad if you have a red-letter version of the Bible. It's just understand that that's a publishing thing, not a Jesus thing. <clears throat> However, I feel like that they highlighted a lot of things that Jesus might have said. So there's that school of thought. Then there's the second school of thought, one of many, right, uh, that I spent a, a huge amount of time in my seminary experience participating in the academic discussion of the actual historical Jesus. And in the 80s, they created this an academic pursuit that they called the Jesus Seminar, with a whole group of academic scholars that sat down together. And it was like, you had, it was 50-50. 50% of the evangelical, well, no, 100% of the evangelical world thought what the Jesus Seminar was doing was blasphemous and heretical. And then you swapped it, and the academic side thought it was really great, but it was a, a fruitless experience because how, how do you actually prove what Jesus actually said? And what they found out through the Jesus Seminars is they had to come up with a way of discerning things that we think that, that Jesus could have said, things that the culture assumed that he would say. And then there's the other part of the historical Jesus or the Jesus Seminar that said things that the church ultimately says on Jesus's behalf, which is why it matters when you think of the chronology of the way that the Gospels were written. And again, you know, you've, if you know anything about my Bible studies, I spent a lot of time on the chronology of when they were written. Mark being the first, Matthew and Luke being later, John being much later than even the Acts of the Apostles, and the letters of Paul, all written before the Gospels and the destruction of the temple. <clears throat> That's a historical Jesus perspective. So you have the red line version, the historical Jesus perspective. And now you have, uh, and I say this sincerely, um, Dr. Carter is not by himself. In the world of academia, there's a there's a more of a perspective on a sociological uh, critique of the Gospels. And what I mean by that is, is that this critique is saying, not only did Jesus most likely say some of these things, that's not I'm saying, some of these things. 
But there's the reason that Jesus would have said it was because Jesus is creating something different, but not what we call Christianity, but a new empire. Uh, the sociological critique of looking at it from the first century lens. So why am I making a big deal of this? Well, <clears throat> the historical Jesus camp, the Jesus seminar people, almost 85% of the time believe that if it was a parable, Jesus most likely said it. And here's the reasons why. In the Jewish culture, rabbis were known to tell stories to explain aspects of their faith. Jesus, historically, has always been known as a rabbi, uh, a healer. Um, I think the evangelical world loves to put a focus in on him being kind of this homeless drifter uh, guy. That I, I, I like the imagery, but there, he was also a tradesperson. Like he had, he, we know he was a carpenter because his dad was his biological, uh, not biological, the earthly dad was a carpenter. So and if he's the firstborn of the family, he inherited the business. So he's a tradesperson. He could travel all over the place. Uh, the historical Jesus camp really likes parables, is my point. Dr. Carter loves parables because in the, in the words that Jesus uses in the parables, it's, it's like a double-edged sword. Kingdom of heaven will be kind of like this, or the people uh, around us will be like this. When someone sows seeds, uh, it's always in a critique against the Roman Empire. In the historical Jesus perspective, that conversation comes up, but it's not the focus. For us, it's the parable is these are Jesus's actual words, which matter, right? So if we and the goal, I think, and I'm being very um, careful how I say this because this is on the recording the I think that Jesus seminar honestly really wanted to figure out what the red line version really was I mean we had all the tools we have all the language we, we even have ancient text it's got to be able to figure out what Jesus actually said now here's the part that I have to say before we go any further the Gospel of Thomas for example which is a non-canonical book it's 144 sayings of Jesus. Remember, their whole goal is if Jesus said it, it was in a parable. There's 144 sayings of Jesus. It's not like a story like the Gospel of Matthew. And the majority of that, they think Jesus would have said. So what does that mean for us? Well, not really a whole lot, except for the fact that in that deep, in-depth study, it opens the conversation to what is the role of parables. In Matthew, he doesn't want to mess around. He tells you right off the bat. He tells this parable of the sower sowing seeds and then says, okay, now let's talk about the purpose of how parables are supposed to work. Now, if Jesus mostly speaks in parables, it leads us to say, hey, these might be actually Jesus's words, with the exception of Matthew's interpretation of, and the purpose of the parables is, is what we know historically is, is that Jesus most likely spoke in parables and probably didn't spend time to go, hey, so just in case you aren't paying attention, let me tell you how the purpose of the parable, he was a rabbi. This is what I meant to say, right? <clears throat> they already knew that he was a teacher. 
They already knew he was a healer. He didn't have to tell them the purpose of the parables. But it's a perfect example of a historical Jesus perspective right next to this new academic understanding of Jesus in the foreground rather than in the background. I, I love this part. But I had to say that before we began our discussion because I get a little I get a little excited when we start talking about parables. Because if you go with both perspectives, the historical Jesus and Dr. Carter's perspective, it works. It makes total sense academically. Jesus speaks this, and not only is he speaking, he's speaking it as a double-edged sword. This is what Rome does wrong. This is what God does right. This is why it needs to be back together. Uh, and that's where we're going to start. Yes, Robert. I was just, I guess my interpretation of parable always was whatever the right answer is, that's more serious. Yeah, so there's not, a... Not that this, I think, not, here's the question, and here's your answer. Here's the question, whatever. You will it, it is. Yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever it makes sense to you, because I've, I've read different things at different times, and they'll be completely different a year later than what I've read it. Which would be a beautiful example of rabbinical teaching. The rabbinical teaching is not designed to say, here's the only answer. This is the only way you should read it for the rest of your life. The answer for a rabbi is, here's the story. You hear it when you're 12. You'll hear it again when you're in your 20s. You'll hear it again, you know, and each time it will change. The rabbis did not like to put things in black and white unless... It had to do with Torah. And so, and even then, it's a challenge. How do we live out Torah? We don't. So, te teaching in parables is, is not a, it's still a good teaching plan. I mean, sure. The one that I think I've come to mind is I, I at one point had two students who came to my classroom and just wanted to be in the classroom. Yeah. Private home time. That's really what I was. Taught the story. I, I could have told them that gold, an equal volume of gold and silver, an equal weight of gold and silver, and different volumes. But I told them the story of Archimedes and running naked to the town yelling Eureka, and they remembered that skill. So it's the, it's the, it's it's a way of. And these are all people that we're talking to here. Are all people like those two students? Absolutely. That, that don't have an academic reading of the book. They don't know how to read, to read it all. So whatever stories you tell them, they've been passing stories on since Moses and before. Mm -hmm. That's how they get their, their things. So teaching them, telling the story makes it easier to remember than just teaching facts. Right. And I, and I think that's where we get confused sometimes when we're looking at the Gospels. Like you hear the phrase, the Gospel truth. Well, the Gospel truth is, is when Jesus tells the story, it's, there's a lesson involved, and that lesson's going to change over time. But the basic premise of it is still going to be there. You know, you, you sow seeds. Well, sometimes they plant. Sometimes they don't. You know, so there's this there's this idea. And it and the, and the rare I was going with that is, <clears throat> in the biblical understanding, sometimes we get lost in the weeds. <clears throat> like, the story is the part that's important. Everything else is kind of leading up to the story. So all of this stuff that we've been reading up until chapter 13, as Matthew has been preparing us 
for Jesus to speak like deep about our faith. Most of the people that are going to be hearing these parables at this time of Jesus, would they have been raised hearing parables anyway? Yeah. Of the Jewish religion? Absolutely. So, <clears throat> well, I mean, I think J Jonah is a perfect example of a Jewish parable. Um, it's, it's the best example I can think of right off the top of my head. So yeah, they, they've been brought up with this idea. Yeah. 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 And, and, and they're used to Midrash. You know, Midrash, for those of you that might not know, Midrash is the what if scenario. They, they never really have an answer at the end of the story. It's always the, well, what if God meant this? And then the rabbi would say, I don't know. What what would happen if God did that? It doesn't add to whatever, but because the prayer was a common way at that time, there's also that Jesus said, to explain Jesus. That's exactly right. And so Matthew is definitely taking that opportunity. And so do the other Gospels. So it doesn't have to be Jesus. But the lesson, the story, it needs to be Jesus for the people telling it. For the Jews, they have no destination. It is the journey. Right. It is always about the journey. Everything is a daily thing. It's not. There's not an end this destination. So with that being said, let us begin. Uh, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood out on the beach. See how the storyteller is telling the story. Obviously, there's so many people that if he goes out into the water, because we all know you can hear an echo off the water, right? That he's now there. And he told them many things in parables, saying, listen. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. The birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds excuse me, fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on ground, uh, on good soil, and brought forth grain. Of, yeah, brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And that is uh, some. Sometimes people add the phrase "anyone with ears to hear listen." I think in the ancient Greek, I don't think even that's here. It just says ears. I mean, ears that will hear. So like listen or hear. Listen to those dip, right. Well that's a that's an interesting translation choice there. Mine says pay attention. Pay attention. Yeah. And that mine says if you have ears, listen. If you have ears, listen. Nice. Attention. Uh-huh. To me, there's a fine line separating 
explanation, definition. There is. No, no, I, I think that's a. So the, the, the reason that it's a big deal is, is if you look at the Greek, ears to hear. Uh, understanding to me means that not only have they heard, but they've now had time to think about it. Attention kind of in that same category. So those, those are not bad translations. It's just those are editorial decisions by the publishing companies. Like that's, do you have the NIV Bible? No. At least it says. Years, years, years. Yeah, that's the, uh, I think that's New Living. Yeah, New Living Translation. And then yours is the uh, English standard. Contemporary yes. English version. CEV, right. So, Josh, are you saying that Jesus may have said that or he may not? Definitely said it. Definitely said it. Not to understand, but definitely ears to hear. Okay. And that's why I'm making a big deal out of it. So, this is one of those moments that the translation matters. But, uh, for example, the New Living Translation, the idea was that if Jesus is a living in our lives today, there has to be a connection to us today. Right. So you'll see in your translation a couple times in the parables that they'll add an, an adjective or a verb uh, with that. But the ancient text doesn't have those. And, and again, not a bad thing. It's to, designed to help you. Same thing with the CEV. <clears throat> but I just, I'm, I'm putting them next to each other. Is this where they get the same? Sometimes you just gotta hush up and listen. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> yes. Just, you know? Yeah. 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 That's it. About I think Jesus yeah. said that too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does say that quite a bit. Because <laughs> this is gonna be his theme throughout the rest of this chapter, so I'm making a big deal of it. Let anyone with ears, ears uh, hear or listen. <clears throat> and so then the disciples came and asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered, uh, to you it has been given, to, oh, to you it has been given to know the secrets or mysteries of, Mysterio. Yeah, it's the word mystery. Yeah, uh, mysterion of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. See, there's, there's no heaven in the Jewish world. So this is an interesting conversation. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not speak, uh, seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them, indeed, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen, but never understand. I think this is the second. No, it's in first Isaiah. Six, nine, and ten. Yeah, so it's in first Isaiah. So, uh, so that's a whole different group of people, but we'll get into that another day. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. <clears throat> and your ears for they hear. Truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people belong, longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So again, <clears throat> Jesus most likely didn't have to say that, but the Gospel of Matthew writer wants you to know he did, right? Because then, it, then what's he do? What's the very first thing he does after he tells the parable of the sower story? 
quotes Isaiah like a prophet with authority. And not just any Isaiah passage, the first part of Isaiah. So there's, uh, just for the sake of the recording in our discussion, we, we basically have broke down the book of Isaiah into three sections. Uh, in the last century, we have figured out that they were written at different times. Um, and that first Isaiah would have been with one group of people under captivity. Somewhere in the second was leaving one and getting captured by another. And then third Isaiah is uh, a whole different group of people, and we've got a different king, and it's a whole thing. So this first part that Jesus is quoting, he's not only giving with authority, but the fact that he has this biblical knowledge gives him even more. Uh, so he's, and then he preaches on it. This is a big deal. Matthew is, not only is Jesus going to be a, a rabbi, he's also going to be a priest. Matthew's idea. He's the high priest. Matthew's idea. Uh, so then it's weird. So now, he's told you the purpose of the parables. Now he's going to tell you how the parable of the sower works. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away uh, what is sown in the heart. This is what's sown on the path. As for what is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls, falls away. Uh, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now you remember the beginning of this discussion? Remember the double-edged sword? Who are these people he's talking about? Yeah, they're the ones that fall on the rocky soil or on the path, right? They're not paying attention at all. Yeah, Rome would be the ones on the path. Who's who's the ones falling in the rocky soil? Now this is this is tricky. Shallow people. Those that are on the fence. Somebody jumps in an idea, but they really don't buy into it. Sounds cool. Yep. They're there for the entertainment value. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, they just watched him heal a whole bunch of people, you know? Tell me about it. Preach to me about it. Ah, <laughs> yes. These are the people that are still non elite people that are hearing this challenge. Uh, they like what he has to say, but I'm, I'm really just too busy. I don't want to lose my income. I don't want to lose my life. I don't need we don't need you, Jesus. Thank you very much. We're doing fine on our own. We're doing fine on our own. Like, like what you're doing, like you said. But. That's right. We're here watching you from the, the shore, but we don't need to know anymore. Skeptics. Skeptics. And then the last portion is kind of simple. I mean, these are his disciples. They're the ones listening and understanding. This is deep. Well, 
We have I'm to sorry. edit it. We don't actually get it, but you know, it's the idea. Yeah. I think at least been exposed. That's right. Really sure last week, but hearing a sentence you said to someone, a former student came back to me. I uh, taught this lesson at a church camp one time. And I stood on the back of the board and they sent around it. Class might be back and go out on the side, but talked about the fact that on the water, I didn't get to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's traveling water. Anyway, the new director of the camp, when he came on, Wayne introduced me to him, and he said, Yeah, I know you. He's one of the kids. He said, You told that story from the diving board that time. That's <laughs> and, cool. And it's all these years later. Yeah. That's cool. And I mean, I think, think of how this works for the people that are writing this in the Gospel of Matthew. Now that they're doing the exact same thing you two just did. You know, there's this this connection. Oh, yeah, you remember that one time? Jesus was on that boat and we went out in the water. And then he said these things. That's that's exactly the same thing. And these are the people, this is now to, to finish that part, that hear the word of God. <coughs> that have, the seed has landed in good soil. And we don't know exactly how they plant, but it took root. Right? Okay, so here we go. Now it's gonna get fun. We're gonna we're gonna go. I'm going to go fairly fast because uh, when we get to about 53, uh, it, it, it'll shift again. But there's a lot of parables here. Um, it's not that I don't want to discuss them, but I just want to read them, and then we can talk about them afterwards. So he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. By while everybody asleep, an enemy came. And so weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Uh, then he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with it. Let both of them grow together until the harvest and at harvest time i will tell the reapers collect the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn uh he put before them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field it is the smallest of the seals but when it is grown it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air Come and nest, they nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. I just have to say this. This is also found in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, it's a really deep historical conversation, but I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, Jesus told the crowds of all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. Hear those words. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet of uh, through the prophet. I will open my mouth and speak to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. That should be like Psalms. Thank you very much. Uh, then he left the crowds. Wait. Yeah. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I love that. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, but the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy 
who sowed them is the devil, emperor. And the harvest is the end of the age. Uh, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace. What does it say there? Is that Gehenna? Verse Cornone. Oh, it's actually furnace. Uh, of furnace of fire. Where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Me too. That's, that's definitely in the top five. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. And then one more. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bed. So it will be the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe, hear how that's going? Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left that place. So, uh, I, I wanted to read through them fairly quickly, but the real story is the parable of the wheat. Do you catch that? That's the one he put the most effort on. Yeah. He said Rome will be aggressive. Oh yeah. The devil the devil is the emperor. He he ends up becoming the uh, the because you think about it, he's the one's in charge of all of them. And he's the one that's causing the sin. He's the one that's causing, you know, Matthew wants Jesus to be the new emperor. It's a new empire, something totally different. So, am I reading too much into this parable? If I think in terms of Rome, that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be wiping out yep. Rome now. You know, the, the weeds and the good stuff are going to grow together, and then angels. Are going to take care of the end of the age. No, no, you're right on the money. So if it's angels, who who is in charge of angels? God. God. So God will take care of the rest. So by angels. Oh, because they're the servants of God. Okay. But, Very simplistic. All right. So I'm, I'm ignorant of the hierarchy, but I know that there's you know this angel does this, that angel right. does that. So and this is general. It's yeah, it's just on oh, so this 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 is just literally angels. So they're um so it's not one of the swords. No, no, no. But see in, in the in the canon of angels in the Jewish world, Angeloi is uh it would most likely be what we 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 would refer to as a cherubim. Uh that these are the the doers of God's work. 
uh, and they're usually soldiers. And in, in all historical understanding, um, nothing like Cupid. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing like Cupid. Not, not even close. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it's funny too because they they make him look pretty, and he's got a, a bow and arrow, and he's got wings, and ends up end up having a diaper. But if you if you go back way far in the in the history of angel angelology, you'll find that the cherubim were the scariest looking ones in all the designs. <laughs> They're the ones that sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. They're the ones that are guarding uh, the Garden of Eden. Like, they're not cool, pretty things. Right? So this angeloid, uh, in this language, these, these are the servants of God. So there's no hierarchy like we have today. It's just these, that's what they thought. Angels are something we don't have any control over. They, they, Two angels, or right? I just didn't know if there had been a definition for us, or if it was yeah. like Sim simplistic. And, and and I think the part I love about this part between thirty six and forty three is this idea that God is in control. No matter how much you weed, uh, throw weeds in the garden, how much wheat you throw, no matter how many things you sow, God is in control. And at some point. God will literally weed out the bad ones. Burn them. There are a couple of interesting Greek words. One is in 41, I will send out, or the son will send out apostoloi, apostles. Yes. That's the word. Instead of angels? No, I will send out, the son will send out the angels. It's the send out. I will send out. I will send out. The son of man, the son of man will send out. That's apostolate. So, the so when it, it's someone you send out. <laughs> That's super cool. That's that word. And so, the word for the evil things, offensive things, uh, they would gather together all the weeds. Scandala. <laughs> Scandala. <laughs> which obviously is where the root word of scandalous and bad is. Well, we got that. Mm. Greeks are kind of awesome. Well, we have a lot of great things. Yeah. So, no, you're not off base. 100% good question, Robert. Notice that God is now fully in control. Uh, Jesus has been sent to be the representative God of God. Notice that he, listen to the language there, though. The son of man, not God. That's intentional. I, I just have to point that out. This, this, this is, these are humans, God. This is, how do I say this, without freaking everybody out. Okay. 90% of what you know is a homogenized understanding of the Gospels, right? We have all four Gospels in our brain. Matthew still, right, we, we, and we struggle with the differentiation of how each of them look at it. Now, how you believe is different than what's necessarily in the text. Matthew struggles with this triune understanding of God. God can't be human, can't be the Son, and he can't be the Holy Spirit, because obviously Matthew is Jewish, right? There's one God. One God, and he's in charge of everything. So Son of Man makes more sense. God gave us Jesus to be one of us. Remember the birth narrative? That we read several weeks, months ago now. 
the birth narrative, God gave us Jesus. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is Son of Man and Son of God. Start to hear that language. And so it becomes, oh, that makes more sense. Uh, but for Matthew, God is the one. God sends us Jesus to be the Son of Man. It's a theological difference that matters. Um, so really what y'all okay, so, so this is <clears throat> still, this is who you, you want. I mean, yeah, this yeah. is this is this is proof that he's he's not he's not going to be telling the super Jew, but he's he's going to be uh, he is definitely the one God sent. So what did Matthew think of the virgin birth? Oh, he that, God, that God was the Father, but he with a human being. So God gave us Jesus through a human being, okay. which okay. he he could create life without a human whatsoever. So, so the also was not a spirit. And then, and Matthew struggles with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't know exactly what to do with it yet. He has bits and pieces of it, but he doesn't know what to do with it. Yet. And they right, and and that's what Matthew is trying to avoid. Matthew does not want Jesus to be Hercules uh, or or Perseus. He does not want that at all. Um, uh, Apollonius, uh, sorry, Philostratus uh, mentioned Sunday. He designs uh, a demigod by the name of Apollonius. It's what really happens. He's a virgin birth, just like Jesus. Uh, he heals people. The only thing he doesn't do is raise the dead, but he has this ability to foretell the future. Um, that's outside of the Bible, right? So Matthew is very much trying to say, this is not that guy. But does this give the Jews, this gives the Jews what they want as in somebody that's going to take care of the Romans, but it also takes past his death. Yes. Because, because he's going to do this, not now. But I'm future. not going over the hill to take care of it. Right. Yeah. And, and it also gives them uh, an accessibility to Gentiles. I guess, to me, it, it, it allows um, an understanding of what's going to happen after he dies. Right. And it doesn't stop there. Right. So uh, I, I want to finish chapter 13, uh, and, and it partly that the, the reason this is kind of important is, is that notice that chapter 13 is kind of going all over the place, like it's, but it's not really. It's focusing it all the way up to this point. He came to his hometown and began to teach the people, uh, or them, in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power is this not the carpenter's son is this is not his mother called mary and are not his brothers this is important for you to catch james joseph simon and judas and are all not his sisters with us where then did this man get all of this and they took offense at him. But Jesus said to him, prophets are not without honor, except in their own country and in their own house. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. Boom. That should be the mic drop of the whole thing, right? So uh, this is a different story than in the other Gospels. When he goes to Nazareth in the other Gospels, they try to stone him. 
here, notice how the whole thing was about those who have ears to hear listen. Even his own people could not hear it, and the prophet isn't any good in their own context. You can never go. I can never preach in the house, but that's for lots of good reasons. <laughs> Baggage with you that you're taking because those people in the town. I remember when you. That's, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. Like, how seriously do your two brothers take your sermons if they hear you preach? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, luckily, Luke and Adam recognized that they saw a transformation in their older brother and have taken pity on me. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, they took pity on me and said, It's a miracle that Josh is still alive. But uh, that is, as well as they saw that. But it's, it's a true, it's an accurate question. And and a perfect example of this, Ted, is this, the the writer wants you to know the names of the brothers. Or end with the feeding of the five thousand, but 
Uh, we have enough time. To, I, I think I would like to keep going. Uh, if it's okay with you all. Let's roll. All right, here we go. Um, at that time, Herod, this is Antipas, by the way, the ruler or group reports about Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, and he has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, uh, these powers are at work in him. That's notice that language. Powers is a site where they used for miracles. Is it really? And it starts out in it, which is where we get that Of explosion. And miracles and powers. Miracles and powers. That's amazing. Mine says miraculous power. That's a good one. <laughs> well, it is. For Herod had arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been telling him it's not lawful for you to have her. If there is no other way to acknowledge that, is if you have to stop doing what you're doing behind closed doors. Uh, Though Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias uh, danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist uh, here on a platter. The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. The head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Um, she must have been a really good dancer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's a great party. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a weird, a weird moment. I think that's probably the kind of dance that involved dollar bills. Uh, that, I, I think so. I think so. But you almost made him all choke at that. So, why is this in here? To show how bad Herod is, Herod Antipas at this point was known as like Nero and Caligula. They, they were so demented and so bad uh, that. That they, they're trying to show them how bad it was. Notice that it says Herodias, right? So there's, they, they're basically playing the role of like Jezebel or any of these women in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and notice that the woman is really the one that's kind of guiding this story. So Matthew, it's not necessarily saying it's bad, but the Herodian women are bad. Like there's something wrong with them. And her mom, obviously, was bad. Bang, bang. Um, Who would really want to see that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's well, clearly slept with his brother's wife. Yes. And Mary. Historically, uh, they're all related. Right. Yeah. So this is all incestuous relations. Um, I guess the reason I ask why it's in there is other than getting John killed, there's, like I said, whenever anybody here knows how bad character is. Right. I mean, any, even in when this is being written, yes. they still would know how bad Eric was or now, his kids. Now, interestingly enough, there's very little written about Herod outside of the Bible. Uh, we have we have we have documentations that Herod Antipas was this really sketchy dude, but not not a whole lot. So this this is a an interesting story historically. Um, 
it's just a minor leader, really, because yeah. Judah was not a big, Israel was not a big country, and that's all he was in charge of, was this little bitty offshoot of, of Rome. So that's right. He wasn't any big deal, actually, in the whole world. Hey, Josh. Yes, Betty. My commentary says that this daughter was only approximately 12 to 14 years of age. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it been marrying age. It would have, uh, I mean, like this whole story is gross and disgusting on purpose. It's corrupt. It's corruption on so many levels. And, and notice that John the Baptist is really not in it. No, it's just his head. Well, I kind of, I mean, the fact that John's disciples came after shows to me how much his disciples loved yes. him. Yeah. Out of this whole thing, I kind of, let's put in on the love here. That somebody, it, it, it doesn't explain you're why. Yeah, I was. I mean, why they had John. Right. It, it, he, he had him arrested. Uh, because he was kind of doing insurrectionist work as like Jesus was. But uh, there's this interesting thing that takes place in the first century with people that have, that are different, charismatic. Um, they get arrested by the Romans because then they have the control over them. And they show publicly that this person who, who you all liked is now under my care, right? Like, and you can't, we are that much more powerful than John the Baptist that I literally snatched him up on the off the road and stuck him in a dungeon. And you you can't do anything about it. It doesn't matter how much power his God has. Look at what I just did in front of all of them. I have so much power that I could literally cut his head off and put him on a platter, and you couldn't do anything about it. Now here's the cool part. As Karen caught, neat part about this story is at the end. Even with Herod Antipas's power, John's followers came and got his body and took care of it, and Herod himself couldn't even do that. Herod's Jewish, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really sketchy. We, we don't really know. He, he ran for the guys, but he picked the wrong side. In, in the, oh, yeah, he's... Yeah, he picked the wrong side in the Octavius and Mark Antony. Yes. Oh, now this is that's his that's his dad. That's his dad. That's his dad. Eric the Great does that with Octavius and Mark Antony. This is this is his one of his sons. I thought he was Jewish somewhere. So there's there's a relationship, but he's appointed by Rome to rule over these people. He paid for that appointment. And so that's part of the thing. And that here at the Great is the one that built Caesarea. He's the builder. He's the builder. He's the one that builds the ranks. Yeah. And Antipas and Cleopas uh, are like Sam Walton's kids. They just live off the interest of, of his earnings. Like that's not that bitter. But no, some of them were good. I should really say more like uh, uh, Chester Cadjo from Quick Trip. Chester Jr. is kind of the, here, Dad, let me get my paycheck, you know, even though he passed away. Uh, you know, there's this, there's an interesting thing that takes place, and these people know that that's going to happen. Octavius's people, uh, <laughs> by this point, oh gosh, I don't. This isn't Tacitus. That's much later. This is right, Vespasian. I think this is at the time of Vespasian. But 
they, they've already experienced all this nonsense. Oh, this destruction, right? So this is after Nero. This is uh, this is leading up to. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. This is after Nero. I mean, what more do I need to say? It's it good different times. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, but they just had they just destroyed the whole temple, so they're still mad. Well, I see this hair as being a small fish in a big sea wants to be a big fish. And the, the more outrageous his actions are, the more he will be noticed. That's right. And it's his own desire to be noticed. Yeah. There's a there's a thing in the Roman culture about slaving this. It's interesting that John the Baptist shows his might that arrests Herod. When Herod shows his might, he arrests John and puts him in prison. And then he's worried that the people, about the people. And then he has a 12 year old girl do his dirty work. I think it's John the Baptist. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, I mean, there's so many layers of, of this story. At the end, the goal is to say that even after death, John the Baptist still had power over Herod, whether he had, he did it in any way. Like it's just John the Baptist, through the power of God, had more power than Herod even after death. So why are they playing so? Why, why are they thinking that they're so bad? Oh, they're Herodian. I, I want to make sure I point that out because they're all related to Herod. Because Herod had to be headed because he honored his own. To mean, his niece. Yeah. I, I understand, but yeah. I mean, he, he still could have said, nah. Right. I mean, no, it just shows how disgusting he is. And how for a lot of oaths he was not honoring. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's right. His brother's wife, so I think there was some oath breaking there. Um, <laughs> <it does. laughs> Okay, well, we're going to go ahead and stop the recording there. We're going to pick up back up at chapter 13. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 13, which is great because that goes into a different concept altogether. Uh, as Dr. Carter calls it, the empire strikes back. Uh, that's, that's his next section. So I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording.